Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And uh, it's a solo episode for me today. I'd like to tell you about The Body Shop, which is a store at the mall a lot of you might have seen. If you're anything like me, you probably walked by it a million times and not noticed it. I mean, if you're in my demographic, it's prob you're probably not, not who tends to shop there. But The Body Shop is... Um, it's, it's kind of a bit of a higher end or a bit more expensive, uh, like soap and shampoo and lotion type store. The body shop, it, obviously, uh, they sell stuff that go on your body, largely in the bathroom or the restroom or the washroom or whatever that's called in your very in whatever country you're watching this from. Uh, if I would have noticed it uh, at the mall when I was young. I probably would have said, oh, that's just some like store where like rich women, you know, spend a little extra money on so soap that, you know, that means nothing. I, I would not have seen the body shop as like a cultural um, product like the as like a cultural sort of uh, place that was meant to be pushing against the mainstream and challenging convention which I later learned it kind of was meant to be. So much more recently, I read a book called The Culting of Brands, which I've spoken about in previous solo episodes, and I would hold it up now, but it's with all my other books in transit still from California. But I read about The Body Shop in this book as an example of a cult brand, as the author calls it. Um, now, what made this brand cultish or made the customers very, very dedicated and kind of married to this brand and were willing to spend extra money and to have all their products, as many as possible, be from this store. It's the way that this store, that this brand catered to people's environmental sentiments. And this was in the early 70s. So the whole hippie revolution uh, had been well underway for a couple of years, and the culture was certainly ready for something like this. Now, what are the hippies and uh, how do or how do I think of them? Um, they're like largely young. Uh, they saw themselves as rebellious or revolutionary, kind of overturning the status quo, sort of getting rid of the complacent 1950s kind of archetypical lifestyle where your life, <clears throat> excuse me, is predictable, where you uh, you need to follow the common procedures, you know, get a job, get married, have kids. No, you can get as high as you want. You can follow your urges, your feelings, and, uh, you know, take the road less traveled, I guess, is how I would categorize the hippies. And you could uh, probably uh, draw that movement and that whole sort of revolution as, um, as being related to the philosophical teachings that came out of the university. So, uh, I'll recommend Ayn Rand's uh, essay collection book, Return of the Primitive, where she uh, has some very uh, unkind words about the hippies and the so-called free speech movement uh, coming out of the universities around that time. And Ayn Rand, I think, uh, ties the hippies and the uh, various degenerate youth to the rejection of reason in the classrooms, the way that these youngsters had been taught that reason is basically impotent, that the individual can't quite look at reality firsthand and objectively understand what he's looking at and then act rationally. So this rejection of reason we see all through philosophy all over the place. And another thing we see in the history of philosophy and even earlier than the advent of philosophy. So I think as far back as you go in the history of man doing something, 
That is, uh, from the moment man began you thinking and some level and doing things beyond just range of the moment, animalistic uh, subsistence, I think you could see the separation of mind and body. So when man becomes supernatural, uh, becomes, believes in the supernatural, we're going back, way back, prehistoric, early, early man, beginning to believe in the various spirits that are running the world. You could say his, uh, he believes in, like his mind is, is in one place where he, he, his mind has gone now to a place where the supernatural exists, but his body is very much living in this dimension where there is, everything has a nature and supernaturalism is a contradiction. There is no so, such a thing. The separation of the mind and the body has, all, has been, uh, has plagued man all through history. And I would say, uh, you know, for whatever my opinion is worth, it looks a lot like Ayn Rand solves that problem. So check out her philosophy and read her books for more on that. Uh, now, through the history of philosophy, you see uh, philosoph uh, philosophers either embracing the body and rejecting the mind in one way or another, or vice versa, embracing the mind and rejecting the body. You can see them breaking off into separate schools, the empiricists and versus the rationalists. You know, the, the empiricists famously known for embracing your fi the five senses saying your five senses they give you facts or they give you they access reality ideas though ideas are just kind of fake this is of course my uh attempt to summarize what they're saying on the flip side you've got the rationalists embracing ideas and pure logic you know pure logic that's that's true you know logic is in impenetrable but the senses what do the senses give you they say oh it gives you this distorted biased um, very limited access to reality. So even if your senses are somewhat valid, uh, they might argue, and it's only, it's only telling you what smells like from your human nose, or it's only showing you how your human eyes see it. Now, the, 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 um, I think the objectivist answer to uh, the empiricist there is that if you're holding omniscience as the standard, if you're if your standard is that all, either you see everything the way God would see it, like know it all from every possible angle all at once, then of course you're, you're setting the bar in a place that's impossible. Um, so everything is contextual. Yes, your eyes see reality a certain way. They, they see reality exactly the way eyes see reality. So it's not invalid. It's perfectly, it's perfectly uh, correct to, to trust your eyes or, or to consider them as, kind of, I guess, axiomatically true. Okay, so the mind versus body dichotomy has plagued man through history, and the philosophers have notoriously, um, you know, driven those two things farther apart than ever, and I've only begun to scratch the surface. I and mean, once you get into modern philosophy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even going to try to go near Immanuel Kant and, the, and those that came after him. You're going to have to uh, turn to somebody more bona fide than I to explain that. But the mind versus body dichotomy um, is a it's a serious thing to understand, I think, when looking at the history of thought and in your own life, you know, when dealing with your own struggles, uh, maybe you've struggled with mental health in one way or another. Uh, ask yourself or try to introspect and ask, like, have I separated the mind from the body? Like, I do. Do I believe things? that in some way don't consist with the evidence of the senses or do I, am I concrete bound? Am I clinging just to the immediate and rejecting philosophy? Uh, because I think the more we do that, uh, the more we end up completely mentally um, upset and confused and it's impossible to separate the mind from the body. So when you attempt to do this and check out Leonard Peikoff's lecture series, which was also transcribed into a book called Understanding Objectivism. And he talks a lot about how 
the rationalists, the people who embrace the mind, and the empiricists, the people who embrace the senses, and the two reject one another, they end up resembling one another. So the rationalists, they reject, um, they reject the senses and only embrace ideas, but then what do they do about the immediate? They become concrete bound. So now they're the ones who are immediately clinging to the immediate evidence of their senses, but they, they don't want to tie it to ideas because ideas and the senses cannot be related. And on the flip side, the empiricists, the people who cling to the sense data but are suspicious of ideas, they still need to conceptualize. They still need to think uh, and use uh, ideas and abstractions on some level, but they, they don't trust abstractions uh, near their sense data. So they end up um, following abstractions or ideas detached from the senses. And now they're looking like the rationalists. Do you see how the two um, superficial enemies are really just two sides of the same false dichotomy coin? The mind versus body. Okay, all of this just to bring us back to the hippies. Now let's look at the hippies. Uh, how would you describe them? I would say they're largely known for hedonistic behavior. So indulgence in drugs, orgies, um, and um, you know, just kind of following the whims, following the feelings, the urges, and also kind of anti-philosophical. Like um, that was what Ayn Rand, I think, points out in Return of the Primitive in one of the essays, how like when the news media would ask these, young, these students, these rebels, like, what is it you're for? Like you're rebelling, but what is it you want? Or what, do, or what is it you believe? Whatever, man. No, whatever. Like, you, you think like, don't overthink it or don't think at all seems to be how the hippies uh, would look at the world. And I mean, it's not just them. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, they, they were influenced by the universities and you can see that attitude all throughout the culture if you're, if you're checking for it. Um, now, how does the mind versus body uh, dichotomy relate to the hippies? This is where I think it gets kind of interesting. Uh, in one respect, they're embracing the body by being so physically indulgent in, in drugs and orgies, right? So it, it would seem like, oh, they're embracing the body. But in another respect, they disdain wealth. They disdain capitalism and uh, the you know wealth and and you know in very earthly things. They are rejecting uh, so many things that make human life uh, pleasant here in the body. So in one respect, they're rejecting the body, in, uh, and in another respect, they they seem to be uh, embracing it by getting high all the time. Uh, on the flip side, how do, what's their attitude towards the mind? On one. On one hand, like I said, they are uh, rejecting philosophy by saying, no, whatever, man, no, no, I don't want to think, I'd... which made them in Ayn Rand's view, I think, like kind of worse than the Marxists, like more dangerous. I think Rand said in that book or somewhere in an interview, she said, like, I could have a better conversation with a Marxist, like I could have a better conversation with the Marxist and understand where we disagree, what we each believe. But the hippies, they've just rejected uh, philosophy and and uh, systematic thought altogether. Okay, so they reject philosophy, which meet, which makes it look a lot like they're rejecting the mind. But on the, in another respect, uh, they they talk about spirituality and this out of body experience and their kind of rationale for getting high and having indiscriminate sloppy orgies is that they're you know transcending and it's taking them to a spiritual realm. So in one respect, I mean spiritual. What does it mean? I mean, if you could put it into words what they're saying they're saying out the outside the body the mind the spirit um so uh, yeah you see um in one respect they're rejecting the mind in another respect they're embracing it in one respect they're rejecting the body in another respect they're embracing it so this is a very very 
advanced level cancer. This is very, I mean, the, the errors in philosophy and the doubling down of errors and the um, complete uh, S word show, I'll say on this family program that philosophy had become and permeated. He was now finally, uh, I think um, the, 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 the philosophers were coming home to roost uh, when you see in the, in the hippie revolution and the hippie culture, this uh, allegedly radical new revolutionary revolution was really just a bunch of kids listening to exactly what their professors were telling them in school and acting accordingly. Um, okay, what does all this have to do with the body shop? So the body shop was founded by a lady named Anita. You would think I would have her last name in front of me, but um, I prepared for this episode in terms of what I wanted to talk about, but I actually forgot to write down the name of the actual lady. But she was a hippie lady and she had a husband and two boys and her husband, little, I mean, little, little kids, the husband decided to go off on a two-year horseback riding trip from somewhere in the middle of South America all the way to New York City, a two-year horseback riding trip. Because why not, man? Just because I got a couple kids to feed doesn't mean I shouldn't go up, follow this spiritual calling to ride a horse across two continents. What are you, uptight, man? My kids will be fine. I need erotic. Thank you, Scott. I almost was going to say I need a Broderick earlier, but I, I, I was reluctant. Man, if I want to ride my horse across the country, my kids will be fine. Children are wise and, you know, their children are smarter than us. They're wise. They're spiritually elevated. They'll be fine. They don't need me to get some corporate job. They don't need me to participate in the evil capitalist, you know, decadent system just to get them food, man. They were spiritually fulfilled. So yeah, go on a horseback riding trip, dude. Just have a nice time. Don't worry about the kids you just gave birth to. Um, and uh, Enric in the chat is talking about Rousseau was their philosopher. Anti-civilization, anti-reason, return to the primitive. Um, and you can see uh, in this attitude that like, yeah, children are pure and wise, you know, and they're corrupted by society. That sounds like Rousseau, doesn't it? In my understanding. Um, so... While Anita's husband is riding his horse across two continents, you know, following his spiritual calling, man, uh, she needed to figure out how am I going to feed my kids and myself. So she had the idea to open an eco-friendly, whatever it was called back then. I don't know if it was called eco-friendly, but it was an eco-friendly, uh, you know, bath and bath and body shop, you know, like like I said, soap, shampoo and lotion and stuff like that. And but it was eco as eco friendly as can be was the whole pitch. You know what I'm saying? Like the uh, the bottles that your lotion comes in or your shampoo comes in, you hold on to that bottle. First of all, the bottle itself is like a reused urine sample uh, container from the hospital. So it's, you know, it's recycled. It's eco. We're saving plastic or we're saving whatever material it is plastic. So you get that, you use that, then you hold on to it and you bring it back to the store to refill it with shampoo. Isn't that clever? Rather than me needing to spend money on extra bottles to sell you, you can hold on to your bottle and I'll refill it with the shampoo and I'll charge you a little extra money to sustain this eco-friendly store and I'll pass the uh, environmentalist virtue on to you. 
Uh, so this store was a phenomenon, the body shop. It was a smashing success right away. It broke records in the stock market. I, I think Anita, Miss Roddick was a maybe a record breaker as far as women in business. And certainly the body shop uh, broke, either it broke records or came close to breaking records uh, when it first went public uh, in the market. So very, very successful right away. People wanted, they wanted, I mean, like uh, I talked about how this mind versus body split, it, it, it takes like a, a third or fourth dimensional form uh, by the time you're looking at the hippies. And now when you look at a store like the body shop, it is taking uh, renunciation to the next level, or it's taking the mind versus body split. It's, it's taking the contradictions of, of hippie existence uh, into the sort of, sort of corporate marketplace. And now, as one article described it, like you can be taking a bubble bath in, in, like lux in luxury while being virtuous. So, so much for renunciation and for rejoining nature, quote unquote. No, no, you're rejoining nature. You're doing your part to, you know, fight the man and to uh, undo the footprint of civilization. You, you are doing that by shopping at the body shop. Isn't that nice? I mean, you see, uh, you know how I'm, I sometimes sarcastically say like, you know, send us super chats to fight the left, which is kind of like uh, a modern um, type of iteration of this attitude you see on the internet. Like we send a super chat, but not because we want the money. It's because it fights the left, you know, kind of what you see with the body shop is buy our, buy our shampoo and save the planet. Um, so, um, yeah, I just want to emphasize again, like you can be virtuous, but now normally being virtuous would mean suffering, right? Isn't that what altruism normally calls for? And certainly this movement that tends to reject uh, the human civilization and existence and capitalism, certainly there you would think uh, to be virtuous, you need to suffer and live like a minimalist. But we found a loophole says Anita, we found a loophole, whether she ever said that or not. I think she would, her actions imply that we found a loophole. You're going to work, you're going to participate in the corporate uh, capitalist system, and I'm going to participate in it. And I'm going to sell you stuff. And you're going to buy this shampoo. But we're together, we'll, we're actually being virtuous, because it's an eco friendly bottle that you're going to basically, I'm not going to have to replace, you're going to pay a little extra for it. You're going to get to enjoy a beautiful, luxurious bathroom experience, and I'm going to have one of the most successful companies of all time to this point. So, um, of course, uh, you know, this uh, I, you might be able to tell I'm a little bit cynical describing what took place. You know, contradictions don't exist, but and like you can't live with a contradictory mind versus body split and live at all and not end up with this sort of topsy turvy situation. You can see kind of how uh, environmentalism is an, in, is an integrating philosophy, an integrating religion, uh, right? Like the way that environmentalism and, and its, uh, its method of being practiced and advocated for, it allows you to live in civilization, to participate in the capitalist system, but also to kind of feel good about yourself and to say, I'm part of the solution. It usually means spending extra money but you can sort of alleviate the guilt by pushing for the opposite thing than what you're actually doing. Um, so yeah, so environmentalism also allows you to embrace science, even though sometimes it's pseudoscience or it's, I guess, 
uh, very selective science, right? Very selective, like, okay, these many scientists said there's catastrophic, um, you know, climate change coming about because of human activity. That might be a very selective uh, way of, of, of reporting what most scientists are saying in many cases, but you get to embrace science. You don't need to see science as this evil, um, you know, white man's capitalist uh, handmaiden of commercialism as it's probably been described. I mean, I mean, there are people unironically, this has been happening for decades, but we're seeing it in, in mainstream culture more recently. People unironically, they say, no, science is racist. You know, Isaac Newton was a white man. He only saw things through his white eyes and the scientists of that time. And since largely uh, reject, you know, uh, pushed away or did not allow in black and other types of people into their community. So basically you end up with a bunch of white men giving you the science. So science is racist. I mean, this is how people interpret what they see around them. This is why philosophy is so important. It sounds silly when I'm sort of rehashing what they say, but adult, grown adults unironically believe this stuff. And um, civilization cannot sustain such irrationality. Uh, environmentalism, however, is a good integrating philosophy and, and or religion, however you look at it, uh, in terms of allowing people to live in the modern world but also think they're, they're doing their part to fight against it. It's kind of like uh, the church would allow you to donate money to the church and that'll get you into heaven. Even though you're a sinful, wealthy businessman or just a, a sinful whatever you are, if you have some money to donate to the church, you can still uh, buy your place into heaven. I, I, I see this as sort of analogous. You can live in the modern world and in, in light of living in the modern world, be causing quite a footprint on the planet but by buying into the environmentalist dogma and uh, engaging with it and supporting it financially and ad agitating for it, voting for certain people over others and uh, crippling businessmen any way you can in the name of environmental concerns in various ways and certainly just believing it, uh, you can you know, sort of alleviate the guilt of living in the modern world. Um, and look at look at how de uh, defensive people get about environmentalism. Like, look how uh, triggered people get of all of all uh, walks of life. It's not just far left people. You get a lot of people of various walks of life who really, really get very, very upset if you challenge their environmentalist beliefs because it is a it's a philosophy certainly, and it is I think also a religion in many in many respects the way it's treated. Um, and people take philosophy seriously, whether they realize it or not. And they certainly take religion very seriously. What, I mean, whether they admit it or not. Um, now, whatever ended up happening with the body shop is there was an article a few years after, after the successful launch of the body shop, an article came out exposing a lot of, um, uh, I guess, hypocrisies or just general misinformation that the company had uh, engaged in by, you know, I guess it turned out. They really were, yeah, they, they're all just like many other companies. They were cutting costs by, go, let's say, going to the third world and hiring cheap labor, or they were um, maybe, maybe their materials are not as eco-friendly as they had claimed. So in various ways, the body shop was just another corporation. And, um, you know, the, the cult dedication to the body shop dissipated and went away. But the company is still very much alive and well. Um, and, uh, you know you kind of see that 
sort of hippie culture, sort of becoming the establishment now. To, by the time I'm alive and I'm, you know, a teenager walking through the mall, you know, I see the body shop and I'm just like, oh, yeah, just another uh, store for Michelle Obama and uh, Melania Trump to buy their soap. Like, it's just not, um, it's not, um, it has not, in my mind, has no association with, you know, dismantling the, uh, the capitalist system or, or minimizing the human footprint. Uh, so interesting to see uh, what came after the hippies, you know, what, who are the children of hippies, you know, these very disillusioned kind of uh, like Kurt Cobain type of uh, youngsters, like people uh, kind of a punk rock attitude, kind of like they, they sort of agree with the sort of anti-civilizational premises of their parents, but often they're very cynical about any attempt to, um, to fight the human footprint on the planet. And uh, sooner or later, you see them all kind of turning into environmentalists, which is why, it, like, like I said, environmentalism is sort of the religion of our time, I would say, but should not be and cannot be for long if we are going to have a civilization. So uh, I would offer you uh, Ayn Rand and her philosophy, uh, not only for your own mental health uh, in tying your mind to, to your body properly and securely, but uh, I think civilization could um benefit as well enric in the chat says hippies turn to punk um interesting i've always seen punk as like a re response to the hippies and i see punks punk rockers as they grow up they, they turn into hippies you know they turn into john lennon and give peace a chance and you know vote democrat like your life depends on it although more recently and i know here god forbid we do an episode where i don't piss off the trump fans um you see a lot of the hippies and punk rock types people largely gravitating to the, the Republican side of the aisle in recent years. Uh, and that's just a fact. Um, and that's what's that's in part what's so scary about the developments. Um, when you have two anti anti intellectual uh, parties running against one another, we're in trouble. So I, I agree. Sadly, I agree with the prediction that I've heard Yaron Brook make, which is that probably the unifier of this country will be a Christian environmentalist. There's a scary thought and it's not inconceivable. It's very imaginable. Someone like Tucker Carlson, who is, um, you know, an environmentalist and takes religion seriously enough to appeal to that part of people. It's uh, not inconceivable. All right. Let me read a couple of your super chats. Got, this is how the left is going to be beat by you sending money to us. I'm obviously being silly, but thank you. Unironically, thank you for supporting the Ayn Rand Center UK because it's the one, uh, one of the few uh, entities that, yes, is asking you for money, but not out of guilt. Well, I, I, I guilt trip you a little bit as a joke, but the idea is to support your values and it ultimately um, leads to more rationally selfish people living free in the world um, and finding happiness in their own lives. So there, there's, no, um, there's no contradiction we're trying to sustain with this type of uh, nonprofit. I think, I think ARCUK is a nonprofit. I should really find out. All right. Yes, it is a nonprofit. All right. Jonathan Honig with 199. Oh, no, we're a for-profit. What am I saying? We are for-profit. And so should you be. Uh, I'm being corrected by the producer behind the scenes. Thank you, Jonathan for the 199. Thank you, Gail, for the 299. Thank you, Marilene, for the $4. Wow, everybody's really uh, outdoing each other. And then Sammy is bored again with 99 pence. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, I guess that's all uh, the time we have today. Uh, um, I, I would try to summarize it all. 
Uh, well, I'll summarize it with a few just sort of bullet points. Just, you know, you look at the hippies. In some respects, they reject the mind and embrace the body. In some respects, vice versa. Um, you, could def you should definitely see the hippies as the product of the intellectual developments in the world. So they're not these, you know, uh, independent minded people who rebelled against the system. No, they were produced and manufactured in the factory that is the university, in my estimation of things. Um, and then uh, something like the body shop, I think it symbolizes, it's a microcosm of how this type of hippie culture became the mainstream and very much became a part of the corporate world. And today, I think uh, a lot of you will agree with this, corporations, they, uh, they virtue signal corporations, they constantly are telling you about how Yes, we might charge you a little extra money, but it's for a good cause or even forget charging you extra money. Just here's what we believe. Here's our ethos. They might be good ethos at times. OK, we, we, we are opposed to racism. That is a good thing. But for Christ's sake, you sell shampoo, you sell razors, you sell Coca-Cola. You know what I'm saying? At a certain point, like, can you just please can we just please uh, can you just sell me what I need to buy? And uh, we can move on with our lives. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, coming up at 7 p.m. UK time. That's, I think, at the bottom of this hour. Coming right up. Um, it's Lisa Van Dam, Joanna Williams, and Gareth Sturdy live in the UK. Still time to get there if you're in the UK. Get in your little... Uh, golf cart or whatever you people drive over there get in that left lane and run run in in your car like fred flintstone and get down there immediately to watch this live event otherwise watch it online like the rest of us coming up at 7 p.m uk time it's a panel called what do children need to know then at 10 p.m uk time it's life on earth with robert and amy and the guest today is luke travers he's got a book all right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll jump over to Clubhouse now, and uh, we want to know what you think. So uh, we can uh, schmooze a little bit on there before it's time to return to YouTube and watch the panel, What Do Children Need to Know? Thank you.